Well, it's my privilege to continue this morning on our reframe journey. So if you are new to Outlook, this is what we're dealing with at the moment, reframed. And I have people asking me, well, what does reframed even mean? Well, very simply, Jesus faced a problem in in developing his disciples. In fact, it's the one time it almost seemed that Jesus got frustrated because he said to his disciples, are you still so dull? Basically, what he was saying is, is he has a quote from Mark chapter 8 and verse 18. He says, do you have eyes but fail to see? Do you have ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? In other words, Jesus was trying to get his disciples to see beyond the obvious. He had just broken bread. He'd fed 5,000, and now they were so worried because they only had one piece of bread for their little journey. And he's saying like, are you still so dull? Don't you get it? God works in different ways to the way of the world. And in loving kindness, I feel that that's what God is saying to me. Brent, I love you so much. Are you still so dull? <laughs> is your heart still hard? You have eyes but don't see, ears but don't hear, heart but don't understand or perceive. So reframed is basically this. Many times God doesn't answer our prayers by changing our situation. We pray in God, send money from heaven, give me a new job, new spouse, new car, new this, change this, change that. And sometimes God will say no, but he'll change the way you see things. And when you see things differently, everything changes. And so over the last two weeks, I've been laying a, a little bit of a foundation in terms of reframed, reframing our struggles, our seasons of struggle and reframing those thorns, those areas in our lives where we battle to get breakthrough that God wants to bring a breakthrough, but not always the way we anticipated. Today, I'm going to focus a little bit more, and it's a, I'm taking a risk this morning because I'm going to be talking about reframed marriage. Now, straight away, some of you are sitting there, it's like, oh, okay, that doesn't apply to me. No, it does. So if you're not married, I do believe that what I'm going to talk about today has relevance to you. Because I want to take you into my journey to show you how some of the biggest breakthroughs come when a situation is reframed. So maybe you're not married right now, but I want you to catch the heart of this journey. Many of these things apply to all of the relationships in our lives and not just marriage. Some of you, like Connor, is not yet marriage, marriage, not yet married, but I know he prays about it constantly. So ladies, maybe you can help him answer that prayer. So here's the point. I'm going to take you through some of the things where I just saw marriage completely wrong. And a wrong perception sets you up for challenges that you can avoid, Connor, if you, if you get it right now. If you learn to see things from God's perspective, it'll save you so many heartaches and struggles down the line. So if you're not yet married but longing to get married one day, listen carefully. Get it right now so that your marriage will be a greater blessing later. Some of you have been married, but you're more mature in life and you're no longer married. This still applies to you because remember, we are a people who disciple others. Paul disciples us through his word, but he was never married. And many of you, God has called you to disciple others. And some of you older folks should be discipling younger folk, being parents to them. And they might be married and you can help them through exactly the same things because you know what the Bible says. Plus, you might have years of marriage experience, good and bad, that you can share with as well. So I say all of that to say this. Please don't dial out today if you're not married. If you are married, please lean forward and make sure you nudge your spouse every now and again and tell them, I told you that's what God is doing in me, not them. Now, 
My lovely wife, who some of you, if you haven't met her, she was leading worship this morning, Kate and I, in, uh, where are we now? September, two months' time, we celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary. Ma, time flies. There we go. So, um, yep, 23rd of November, 1996, I made the big mistake of asking her dad to marry us. Yeah, I love her dad. He's, he's a, he's, he, but that day, I'm convinced he made me vow to things which were completely off script. I'm telling you, I, I'm still washing the dishes every day, making the food, doing all of those things. Because in that moment of like, I'll say I do to anything, I did say I do, and I'm still paying the price now. However, Kate and I have been married uh, 25 years, and uh, I suppose here's con, uh, confession number one. I, I thought that I was going to be an outstanding husband. I was wrong. <laughs> Very wrong as I, as I began to realize that it didn't exactly go according to the plan that I had in my mind. And so I want to take you through, uh, through three areas of reframing. And before you ridicule, mock me, and put on Facebook how doff your past is, just remember you've made some blunders too. So remember some of the things, well, if you've forgotten, I'm sure your spouse will remind you of some of your marriage disasters and catastrophes along the way. So here's the first one. I want to talk about, within marriage, I want to talk about reframing conflict. Now, my parents, I'm not, I'm not going to abuse them today. I tend to give them a bit of a hard time. So I want to honor them today. I think they've been married 52 years now, and I'm sure they're watching right now. Mom, Dad, we're super proud of you. 52 years is an incredible achievement. And, but here's the thing. In 52 years of them being married, I've never seen my parents fight once. Not once. I grew up, just they didn't fight. And so how do you think I perceived marriage? When you love someone, you don't fight with them. <laughs> I mean, that's obvious. I mean, and so, I mean, marriage, because you just love each other, you just never fight. Conflict does not enter into marriage because you love one another. I married Kate. We went on honeymoon. We had a fight. Now, I'm like, this is uncharted territory. It's like, are we getting divorced now? Is it over? Have I married the devil? Am I, I mean, what do I do right now? It's like, absolute. I'm hitting panic stations now because I just haven't a clue. You see, and then I remember, Kate and I, were, we managed to make it through honeymoon. <laughs> but uh, a couple of years later, we were with my parents. They came with us. They helped us to uh, look after our kids. We were in Australia and then New Zealand at a conference at a training time. And it happened to be my parents, I think it was their 37th or 38th anniversary. And Kate and I were together with them. And, and I remember sitting them down on their anniversary and saying, okay, mom, dad, please help. We haven't seen, I've never seen you fight. This was like 38 years of marriage. I've never seen you fight. Kate and I, we had a fight on honeymoon and we've had a whole lot since then. What are we doing wrong? And my dad kind of like, love you dad, but you kind of looked back and said, no son, that's not true. There were about seven minutes in our 38 years where your mom and I disagreed. I'm like, what? My mom then says, no, actually that's not true. It's just that whenever we disagreed, I just like, okay, honey, for sure, whatever. And I realized in that moment, actually, I'm like my mom. It's not that there wasn't conflict. It's just that it was never actually conflicted. My mom just, and I'm like her, it's like rather like the tortoise into the shell. It's like, okay, honey, let's just do what you say. And I began to realize right there, whoa, 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 maybe this is not the healthiest way. Now, it's worked for them, 52 years of marriage, well done. 
But I suddenly realized, no, actually, I, I'm conf- conflict-averse. My perception of conflict is negative. I, I view all, con- up to that point, I viewed conflict as something to be avoided. In fact, I saw peace as something to be worshipped and conflict to be avoided because in my mind, conflict is unhealthy and bad. And I realized this is something that has to be reframed. I remember... There's a a little verse, some of you will know it well, Ephesians 4 verse 26. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Have you heard that verse before? You know what I've discovered in Zululand? The sun goes down quite early. And I mean, Kate and I, we sometimes we'll be having this like tension and she's bush with me and she like, when she gets angry, she gets angry. It's like, babe, it's 4.30. His son's like, Ugh. and it's like, let's deal with it. And she's like, don't, I don't want to see you right now. I'm saying, babe, we have only got 30 minutes. Don't judge me. You've probably done something similar. Here's the point. For me, conflict was to be avoided at all costs just to make, but then I had a reframing moment. You see, Jesus, when he was speaking to his disciples in, uh, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, remember he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And then he said, blessed are the peace makers, for they will be called sons or children of God. And in that moment, I realized it doesn't say blessed are the peace keepers. It says blessed are the peace makers. Now, if you part of the United Nations peacekeeping force, they would be sent into hostile territories where two, either it's a civil thing within one uh, country or it's two countries and there's a border dispute. And what they'll do is they'll put a fence here and they'll put a fence here and they will stand in the middle in no man's land and they will fight to keep one army that side and another country that side and no one deals, you do not get into no man's land. That's peacekeeping. The conflict doesn't go away. You just keep the warring parties apart. But that's not what the Bible says. It says, blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers don't keep people away from conflict. They walk straight into the middle of the conflict and they deal with the root of it. Let me ask you this question. Jesus, as he came from heaven, did he come as a peacekeeper or a peacemaker? Jesus came as a peacemaker. He stepped right into the middle of a sin-stained, scarred world which was under the authority of Satan amongst the people he'd created who turned his back on God. And he stepped right into the middle. He took upon himself all of the accusations and the sin. He took upon himself the root of the problem and he made peace through his body by being nailed to the cross so that we would be reconciled to the Father, so that peace was made between us and the Father. That's why it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they, just like Jesus, will be called sons of the living God. Amen? Now, which is easier? Much, much easier to be a peacekeeper. Let's just not deal with this. Let's just don't deal with it. Just put your head in the sand, just withdraw into your shell, all of you tortoises like me, and just pretend there's no conflict. Yes, dear. That's not the Bible way. What I realized then as the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, it says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow. Isn't that interesting? Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. In other words, true growth, if we want to grow in maturity, it means we have to deal with hard truths. You can avoid them, but really all you're doing is keeping yourselves in immaturity. 
conflict. Here's my theology of marriage. I don't believe that the father took a spare rib out of Adam. Because that word rib in the Bible is the same as the word sad. I believe God took more than a rib. I think God took a side of Adam and created Eve. Because then the Bible says, for this reason. Why? Because a whole side is missing. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. He's not just missing a rib, missing a whole side, and the two become one flesh. In other words, we always marry the opposite. That's how God designed us. If you're an introvert, you probably married an extrovert. If you're super logical, you probably married someone who's uh, emotional and all of these. You just do. That's, your giftings will be completely different because the chemistry the inside of you is looking for something that's opposite to bring completion. It makes perfect sense to me. Of course, what it means is that you married someone opposite to you, which means you are not compatible, not which means you like different things. One's an outdoor person, one's an indoor person. One likes to run, other likes to swim the car. You're just different because you were looking for someone opposite. Now, if we get it right, we become this amazing one flesh team. But we never just get it right first time because we've got sinful hearts. There's going to be areas of conflict. You're not going to see everything the same because you're coming from two different perceptions. If you can learn to conflict well... As a couple, you will grow and mature and flourish. If you don't learn to conflict well, either you'll never truly mature as a couple, or sadly, it will end in destruction, distance, divorce, and disasters. In fact, as uh, Stephen Sharon do most of the premarital counseling, you don't want to come to me for premarital counseling, because basically what I'm going to try and do is teach you to fight well. Because here's the thing, if a couple can learn to deal with conflict, you can overcome anything. But if you never learn, and that means tortoises, the courage to step out and learn to speak the truth in love. That means all of you rhinos who like to bulldoze your way through any conflict. It's learning to hold back, to listen, and not to speak as much. I want you to reframe. For me, reframing moment came. Conflict is not negative. Conflict is the way we grow. Healthy conflict produces growth in our lives. Unhealthy conflict will produce disasters and pain. Does that make sense? So now, my dear wife and I are learning and have been practicing to try and deal with conflict a whole lot better. Here's another one. Oh, I better move on, otherwise I'm not going to get through. I want to talk about now, not just reframing conflict, but I want to reframe the difference between enabling and empowering. Now, about two years into our marriage, Kate and I were still living up in Joburg. We were part of a church. We were on leadership in the church. And there was a couple pastoring the church that we were accountable to. And, and Kate and I were having coffee with them one day. And the pastor's wife looked at me and said, Brent, I never understand how it is that you lead so strongly in the church, but at home you're a wimp. Oh. <sighs> Like, ouch, <laughs> it's like I'm here in the room. <laughs> Yikes, that one hurt. And, but sometimes it's, it's, it's those moments in our lives that you trigger something. I'm, I'm busy licking my wounds saying, dear God, where have I missed it? But then in that moment, I felt God uh, remind me of a scripture in Ephesians 5 verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
Now, I knew that verse. That's what the Bible says. Husbands, your job, like Jesus, is to give up yourself for your bride. And Jesus, that's what I'm doing. And you know, it's like silent in heaven sometimes when you're thinking the angels are going to clap for you and there's just silence. And I suddenly began to think, am, am I doing this? And in my mind, what I suddenly, as I, here was my, my perception at that point, was my job is to surrender what I believe, what I think, what I would recommend for the sake of what my spouse wants. Because that's what good husbands do. They, they lay themselves down. And I suddenly realized in that reframing moment, Jesus didn't lay down his life for what we wanted. Jesus laid down his life for what the Father wanted for us. There's a big difference. Suddenly I realized that's why I'm wimping out at home because my belief, my perception at the moment is I should be laying down what I believe, what I think is right, what I believe God would want for the sake of, okay, honey, let's keep the peace and let me be like Jesus and lay myself. I'm not being like Jesus at all. I'm wussing out. It's much harder to actually say, no, babe, I disagree with you here because honestly, I feel this is right or this is what God is saying or this is what we should do. That was much harder. And, and love is always hard because it's sacrificial and it should be giving. And it, in that moment, I was just, that was my reframing moment. Lord, I need to change. If I, as a husband and head of the home, give up what I believe God wants for what she wants, that's not loving, that's enabling. That's abdicating authority and responsibility. It's more loving to say no, to stand up for what I believe God's will is, to face conflict head on in a loving way. And so God had to reframe my perspective on headship. Headship doesn't mean you dominate, dictate, and lead everything. Headship means responsibility. Headship means one day I, as head of the home, as a husband, need to stand before the Father and give an account, and I cannot say, but Lord, it was the woman. That's been tried before and it didn't work. That's what Adam said, remember? And God held him accountable. So I've got an amazing wife who's super capable, great leadership gift. And I can say, go for it, babe. Lead this and go for it. But I can never say, Lord, I made an excuse. It wasn't my fault. She did it. No, no. Headship means responsibility. Otherwise, we abdicate. Does that make sense? Now, for some of you fellow husbands out there, we might need to reframe our understanding. It doesn't mean to say you have to wear the pants and be the boss and dominate your wife. It means you need to be responsible and stand for what God is saying to you. Amen. Let me leave you with one more then and then uh, come into land. This is a more recent one. <sighs> there may have been a few occasions over the last 25 years where I may have subtly tried to change my wife in some ways. You know, like upgrade her just in a couple of areas. You know, just tweak here and, well, major service here. Just, I want to talk about reframing happiness. You see, my tool of, uh, of attempted change was sometimes words, but often it was like, it was more like projected attitude, like, hmm or silent treatment, a bit of passive aggression, just to draw like subtle hints or sarcasm, just to try and upgrade her in, in certain ways. Now, let me give you one example. I, I love traveling. Kate doesn't love traveling. So I remember a couple of birthdays ago, she said to me, hey, what would you like for your birthday? So I said, what I'd really like 
It's a great weekend away, you and me, to some exotic place or a pair of underpants. Guess what I got? <laughs> yep. Yep, my, my tools of change were not working. Here's the point. As I thought about it, I began to, to realize just recently I was sitting with a couple and, and I had one of those reframing moments. My perspective on marriage was, why do we get married? We get married to make us happy. I mean, because we're happier together. I don't want to be lonely. I don't want to live by myself. So, so the foundation of our marriage is happiness. I mean, we want to be happy together. So if I'm not happy, we have to change. And by we, I mainly mean you. <laughs> Makes sense, doesn't it? And then the, the penny began to drop with the reframing moment. Is the foundation of biblical marriage my happiness. See, the Bible tells us in, in Ephesians 5, verses 25 to 27, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her happy. Oh, darn, this new translation. <laughs> no, no matter what translation you look in, none of the translations say, Jesus, the head of the church, like the husband, the head of his bride, Gave himself up, loved her to make her holy, holy, not happy, holy. Cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. The foundation of our relationship with Jesus, this marriage of Christ and the church, the foundation is not our happiness, it's holiness. Church, we need to hear that because even at a church level, so many things, surely I should be a Christian to be happy. And so if I'm not happy in the church, let me find another church or another this or another that. It's not. It's to make us holy. Here's the thing. God has all eternity to spend with us for our happiness. When the judge came back or the, uh, the righteous king came back, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with what I've given you. Come and share in your master's happiness, all eternity. But right now, it's not about your happiness. It's about faithfulness because God is developing holiness inside of us. If it was about my happiness and I married you for my happiness, then for goodness sake, change and make me happy. <laughs> if it's about holiness, then God, would you come and change me? And as that reframing moment hit, I realize, God, you have invented marriage as this incredible tool for developing holiness in us because there's nothing else in the world that will reveal our selfishness as much as marriage. That'll teach you to serve as much as marriage. God, that's brilliant. <laughs> but when that penny dropped, I realized, Lord, it's got nothing to do about changing my spouse. Lord, all of these things, you have perfectly designed her to push all my unholy buttons. So either I can whine and complain, or I can let God develop holiness in me. But here's the thing, God's not against happiness. When the Bible speaks about holiness, it speaks about our God, and it speaks about the beauty of holiness. It speaks about the splendor of holiness. When a marriage is truly built on holiness, guess what? Oh, you'll find a level of happiness, more than that, of joy and contentment way behind, way more than if you were just seeking after happiness. Oh, Lord.
come and help us. We need to reframe the understanding of the foundation of marriage. If you've built your marriage on the expectation of happiness, then you'll always try and change your spouse to make you happy. If it's built on holiness, then you'll always be allowing the Holy Spirit to change you. I want to ask you today, specifically for those who are married right now, but for Connor and all of those singles, I want you to understand now, conflict. How do you see conflict? Your perception of conflict right now, is it negative to be avoided at all costs? Because actually it's in Scripture. Jesus, the peacemaker, stepped into a conflict zone and made peace by sacrificing himself on the cross. God has called us not to run from conflict, but to speak the truth in love and grow through conflict. What about enabling or empowering? Men, let me ask you, are you empowering your wife and family? Are you taking authority at the headship that God has given us as heads of the home? Or are we enabling, abdicating authority, empowering sinful behavior because of some warped understanding, theology, justification, or excuse? What about the foundation of our marriages? Are they built on holiness? Primarily, God, you're using this relationship to work holiness in me. I'm not trying to work happiness into my spouse. May God help reframe us. To the oldies who have been married, I'm sure you can relate to some of these stories. You've probably got hundreds of your own. Don't waste those stories. We're a discipling people. Don't be scared to speak in, to encourage, to help those who you see are struggling in their marriages. To you youngers not married yet, oh my God, help us to see through his eyes so that you don't have to walk through some of these blunders that your dear pastor has. Why don't you stand with me, please? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, as we stand in your presence this morning, we thank you once again for the brilliance of your design, of your plan, of your will, of your ways. And Jesus, you said to your disciples so many times, are you, are you, do you have eyes but you do not see, ears but you do not hear, hearts but you do not remember? Father, I pray this morning that you would come and remove the hardness from our hearts so that we would see things from your perspective. Father, I want to pray specifically for marriages right now. Father, I pray areas of struggle, conflict, dysfunctionality in marriages. Father, I pray for breakthrough, reframing moments right now. And friends, I want to challenge you. In your marriage right now, I guarantee there are areas that God wants to reframe. The situation might not change. Your spouse is not going to change. But the way you see can change everything. I want to commission you today to go and seek the Lord. Lord, what areas? Even if you've got a good marriage, let me tell you, God has got greater plans. Don't settle. God, will you come and reframe every one of us, our perception of marriage? I want to pray for the singles right now. Father God, I pray that the whole world is trying to shape our perspective on marriage. It's trying to belittle marriage, ridicule marriage, undermine marriage. Father, we want your perspective. We want to see marriage through the sacred eyes of Scripture. Jesus, marriages are intended to reflect you and our, your relationship with your church. We want to hold it sacred before you. 
Father, I pray over our singles right now that you would protect them. I pray, Lord God, that you would give them a godly perspective on marriage. Father, I pray for those no longer married, those who might have lost a spouse. Father, I pray that that experience, the lessons you've put inside of them will not be wasted, but rather will become a tool of discipleship to impart, impart to the next generation. Father, I thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for our spouses, Lord. Thank you for the gift of marriage, Lord God. Thank you that you are making us holy through these sacred relationships. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Friends, just before we, uh, we end off, remember, Jesus is the head of his church. He is the groom. We are the bride. And I want to tell every one of you, if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your head, then you've never, if you've never said yes to Jesus, oh, I would love to chat with you, to pray with you, to introduce you to a relationship of having Jesus as the groom, the head of your life. I'd love to do that now. I'd love to pray with you. For the rest of you, we've got our tithe. The rest of you, we've got our tithe.